Good morning. Let's uh, pray before we begin. Father, we come to you this morning, all of us uh, physically here, um, but I pray that we would also be mentally here, um, that we would be spiritually here, and that you would teach us and that you would get your way and your will done in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go on a thought experiment together. Imagine a world where sexual immorality is not a thing. There is no idolizing of it in movies, and it's not even present in the real world either. A world where lustful living is nowhere to be found, where impure passions and evil desires are not even a thought, where envy and covetousness is not even on our radar. Also in this world, it's a place without anger. There's actually no reason to get upset. There's no wrath or malice towards one another, a place where slander isn't a thing. No one needs to talk negatively about anyone else because there is simply nothing negative to talk about. And finally, a place without uh, dirty language and inappropriate talk. Imagine this world. What I just described to you is the kingdom of God. A kingdom where Jesus rules. A kingdom where his rule is experienced perfectly by everyone on the inside. A kingdom where people don't feel the need to take for themselves. A kingdom where the Lamb of God is worshipped because he did not take, but instead gave by laying down his life for others. Unfortunately, I don't need to tell you this, but unfortunately this isn't our experience in this life. The ten things that I just mentioned in this hypothetical world are the very ten things that Paul tells us to put to death in our passage this morning. These are the ten things that used to define us as humans, but as children of God, we are called to be done with them. And as Christians, we believe that this is possible. Because of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death, his undeniable resurrection, his inspiring ascension and promised return, there is hope. Amen? There is hope, and not just hope for the next life, but hope that we can begin to experience a small taste of it in this life. And so to summarize where we're going this morning, uh, I will say it this way. Jesus' death enables us to put to death all that is earthly within us. With that being said, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, uh, page 984 in your pew Bible. As we continue our way through Colossians, just a few more weeks left, uh, we are working under this theme for our series, which you've heard before, and it's this, surrender to Christ who is king over all creation. 
And today is all about surrendering these earthly things to Christ by putting them to death and also putting them off by putting off the old self, okay? And then next week, Doug will then talk about putting on the new self and how we do that. So Colossians 3, starting in verse 5, Paul writes this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. As we think about this passage that we just read, we have to remember what Matt talked about last week, okay? Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is about setting our hearts and our minds on things above, okay, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so catch this, everything that we talk about this morning is underneath that umbrella, okay? But then Paul shifts his focus on the things that tempt us to take our eyes off Jesus, and he calls us to put them to death. So if you look at our passage, um, there are two lists in verses 5 through 8, and I want to focus on that first. And then I want to end with verses 9 through 11 and the hope that we see there. Okay, so first, verse 5. Once again, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Or put another way, I like this. Put to death the earthly things lurking within you, which are sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What I want to do is I want to briefly define uh, each of these terms for us with the help of Blue Letter Bible, okay, which is a great free online resource uh, if you have never heard of that. So first, sexual immorality. This is the Greek word porneia, okay, which we've said multiple times from this pulpit before, and it simply means every kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. All right? Secondly, impurity. This is lustful and luxurious living. Number three, passion. This is an affliction of the mind or emotion or related to depraved and vile desires. Number four, evil desire. This is wanting something that is forbidden, okay, or doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. And lastly, Covetousness. Simply put, this is the greedy desire for more. Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message. He says, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. And with covetousness, Paul says that this is idolatry because we are worshiping the created things of this world, believing that they will bring us satisfaction instead of worshiping the creator, okay, capital C, creator, the author and giver of true life. Now I want to say this this morning, I want to make this clear, pleasure isn't bad, 
Okay, God is the author of sexual desires and other good passions that we have. But this isn't what Paul is writing about here. These are what I'm going to call distorted desires. These are taking God's good gifts and making them God's themselves. And so I'm summarizing this entire first list here, as you can see at the top right, as immoral indulgence. Everything from immoral sexual desires to unhealthy emotional desires to wanting the fancy things of this world for your pleasure and your pleasure only. The ESV study Bible points out this, quote, The first list can intrude into our relationship with God, taking the place as a focus of our devotion. This list negatively affects our relationship with God because we are living outside of God's intended will for our lives. This is immoral indulgence. And these things are to be put to death. We'll come back and look at how we are to do that later on. For now, look at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, Paul continues, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. God's holy, righteous, and good anger, otherwise known as wrath, is coming on these things. And if you look at your Bible and it has footnotes, um, it says that in some early manuscripts, we are led to believe that not only on these things that God's wrath is coming, but on the people who practice them as well. And that seems weird, but I, but I just want to make this clear. God is love. And therefore, he loves us enough to hate sin and to hate the things of this world that destroy us and deform us as images of God. And he wants nothing to do with this list of immoral indulgence. And... He wants you to have nothing to do with it either. It's not who we are anymore. We used to live in these ways, but now because of God's grace and mercy, because of God's grace and mercy, we have been raised to new life with Christ. And so we are forgiven of and free from these ways of living. 1 Timothy 2, 6 says this, quote, He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus' death enables us to put to death all that is earthly within us, beginning with immoral indulgence. The second list begins in verse 8. Read it with me one more time. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I'm labeling this section as cruel and crude. Okay, again, let's uh, look at each word separately. First, anger. Anger, this is ungodly agitation of the soul. And Paul isn't writing, uh, writing about righteous anger here. This isn't Jesus turning over the tables in the temple because of the injustices that plagued the temple courts. This isn't Jesus condemning the Pharisees and the religious elites because of their hypocrisy. No, this is unholy and ungodly anger. This is anger towards your three-year-old when he made a mess because you have an expectation for him to behave like a 30-year-old. 
which I know nothing about. (laughs) This is anger towards your spouse because you chose not to watch the football game and instead take a few minutes to clean the whole kitchen and take out the garbage, and she didn't even say thank you, which I also know nothing about. Right? This is anger that is not justified. Anger. Secondly, wrath. Wrath. This is enraged, sinful anger. This is like next level anger. Number three, malice. This is ill will towards someone else. This is a desire to injure someone else. This is wickedness and depravity that is not ashamed to break laws. Number four, one that we know a lot about in our culture, slander. This is speech that defames another. And lastly, obscene talk. This is low and foul speech. This is dirty language. Now, if you think back to the first list, the first list was primarily, not limited to though, but primarily highlighting things that get in the way of our union with Christ. And this second list is primarily about the things that get in the way of our unity with those who follow Christ. And I could be wrong, okay, but I want to propose to you that the first list actually leads to the second. That the more we live in immoral indulgence, the more that we are crude in our speech and cruel to others. Our love for God, or lack thereof, directly impacts our ability or inability to love others. If we're not satisfied with God and instead running after the things of this world, it will just naturally have a negative impact on how we treat others. For example, I remember meeting with a young man many years ago, and he came to me because of his anger, okay? The smallest things just set him off. And after much conversation, we ended up agreeing that his addiction to pornography was playing a major role in his anger issues. The slavery to pornography began to make him entitled, And made him just subconsciously believe that every desire of his should be satisfied. And when they weren't, he became angry. Specifically, and not surprisingly, maybe, he began to see women as objects of his pleasure. And much of his anger was actually directed towards them. It's often a progression The first list naturally over time leads to the second. Our union with God has a direct impact on our unity with others. But the good news is that Jesus' death enables us to put these things to death. And Paul is very clear. This is not who we are anymore. We have been forgiven by Jesus and set free by Jesus from this way of living. As I've said before, we we were made and we are made for something so much more. And so with that in mind, our last few verses, starting in verse 9, Paul writes, Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul calls us to put off the old self and instead put on the new self. In the New Living Translation, verse 10 reads this way, quote, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Well done, NLT. The more we give in to our evil desires, into our anger, into our slander, the more difficult it becomes to truly understand who Jesus is and to understand the grace that he has given us. And unfortunately, therefore, the more difficult it becomes to put on the new self, to be renewed and to become more like him, all fueled by his grace and his mercy. There's a lot more that can be said about this verse, okay, but we're going to look at that next week um, when Doug speaks. So lastly, in verse 11, for all of us who are adopted into to God's family, we now realize that it doesn't matter if you are a Gentile or a Jew. It doesn't matter if you are circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if you are civilized or barbaric. And it doesn't matter if you are a slave or if you are free. Instead, Christ is all that matters. And Christ lives in all of us who are born again. It's no longer about who you are. It's no longer about your social status. It's all about Christ. And this is our hope. Think about your life. That no matter where you came from, or even if you read these lists, and still find yourself living like your old self at times. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that day by day, by the grace of God and fixing our eyes on Jesus, that living like our old self can be less and less of a reality as we are sanctified by the Spirit of God. Jesus' death enables us to put to death all that is earthly within us. His death enables us Because we believe that the Son of God dying on the cross and raising to life again, that by him doing that, he broke the power of sin. And so for those of us who have received God's grace, who have turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus' finished work, the good news is we are now enabled to say no to the things that once had power over us. Not because of anything that we have done according to Ephesians 2. And not in our own strength, but all because of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So, the natural question is how? How does this happen? How do we say no and put these earthly things to death? As always, I just want to say, um, what I'm about to say is an invitation and just that. And I want to be clear, this, this isn't a way to earn salvation or to, to somehow earn more of God's grace. This invitation is not necessarily about salvation, but instead sanctification. Dallas Willard says it this way, quote, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. 
Earning is an attitude, and effort is an action. And so we believe that grace is not just given to us for salvation, but also for sanctification, okay, to become more like Jesus. Therefore, confessing our sins and repenting of them is not just a one-time thing. It starts at a one-time thing, but it goes on. It's a daily step of obedience to our holy God. And we believe that his grace is required for these steps of obedience. Paul writes in Romans 6, uh, quote, How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so this invitation is for us as Christians Get this, it's for us as Christians to live out in our lives what we believe to be true in our heads. And so how do we do that? Once again, remember that today's text is about putting off. And so my invitation this morning is about uh, to stop doing something. And the next week, Doug will speak about putting on and call us to start doing something. So two things to close. Number one, as you look at the lists either in scripture or um, in your notes, in your bulletin, is there a specific sin that you are convicted by? Is there one that you identify with? Like my current anger with this fly up here. Um, Choose one or more, maybe, and confess that sin to God. And I would encourage you not just to confess it to God, but also confess it to another person as well, as we are called to do in James chapter 5. I know confessing to someone else is scary, but freedom is found on the other side of vulnerability. Find someone that you know, you love, and you trust, and share with them. And if you're here this morning, and you've never confessed to God, and this is new to you, You've never received his forgiveness. Talk to somebody after I'm done speaking. Number two, after confessing, we ask, how do I actually put these things to death? How do I put off these earthly things that I'm struggling with? How do I not quench the spirit, but rather partner with him and allow him to transform me? And remember that the the goal isn't just to put these things off so we can say we put these things off. The goal is union with Christ. And there are many ways to do this, uh, but I want to suggest one this morning. This week, specifically pay attention to what you are filling your mind with. What kind of content are you consuming that could be leading you to sin in these specific ways? If there is anything uh, that, is, that is sinful, obviously be done with it. Okay, that should go without saying. But what about the content that seems neither really good or bad? It's just kind of neutral. And as I say that, you may say, well, there's, there's no such thing. Um, but for the sake of this morning, just go there with me. For example, content that's not pornography or music with a lot of inappropriate lyrics but it's also not scripture or worship music. Some examples would be the news or social media or certain TV shows. For this kind of content, instead of asking if this, if this content is right or wrong, good or bad, a more helpful question is this. Who am I becoming because of this content that I'm consuming? Or, said a different way, what is this doing to me? as a follower of Jesus. 
Is it making you a person who loves God and loves others? Or is it making you a person who wants to give in to sexual immorality? Who wants to give in to anger? Who wants to give in to malice? I think that it's not just explicitly sinful content that causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus. Is there something that comes to mind for you? Is it music, news, sports, movies, TV shows, social media? For me, as some of you know, I love reading and following the news. I like to know what's going on. But there have been multiple times over the past few years, especially over the past few years, where I have had to stop reading and stop watching the news for a while. And a lot of the content wasn't necessarily wrong or sinful, but it was still doing something to me that I didn't like. And what I mean by that is I became sinfully angry towards people who would write things that I disagreed with. Or worse, I would become sinfully angry towards people I knew that held those same opinions. It was forming me not to become a person who loves God and loves others, but to become a person of pride and resentment towards others. And so for me, there are times when following the news just isn't worth it for me. And this isn't a sign of my maturity. This is a sign of my immaturity. I just can't consume things and not let it affect me. I know the tendencies of my heart, and for me, it's just not worth it. What is it for you? Is there something obviously sinful that you need to be done with? Or maybe it's something more subtle. Maybe scrolling through social media sparks a desire for sexual immorality. Or a desire to find envy and jealousy in your heart towards someone else's life. Maybe certain kinds of music make you believe that life is all about happiness and fun, and partying, and you become confused when you go through hardship and trials. What seemingly neutral content can actually cause your heart to slowly drift away from God? In this moment, ask God to reveal it to you. Ask God to make it clear so you can allow Him, okay, Him, not you in your own strength, but allow Him to put these things to death, and instead begin to live more like the new self and the new creation you are. Jesus is worth your confession this morning, no matter how scary it may be. Jesus is worth your surrender. Jesus is worth your grace-fueled effort to put these things to death and to live in such a way that is honoring and glorifying to him. Jesus paid the price. So will you say yes to his invitation? Before we close, I want to give you just like a minute of silence in response to look at these questions on the screen and to ask God what it looks like to respond in faith and obedience to him. And it's going to look a little bit different for each one of us, okay? So go ahead, take about 60 seconds and uh, think through these two questions.
Father, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the grace and mercy that we have received because of his death and his resurrection. And so I pray that in, in our spirits, in our souls, in our beings this morning, as um, Lord, we, have, we have heard this for the past 30 minutes, that you would encourage us to obey in faith. That we would be fueled um, by who you are. Now, we wouldn't try this in our own strength, but we would partner with your spirit as he transforms us day by day. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to uh, make us more like you, all for your glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This will conclude um, our time together, at least in here. If you want to receive prayer, you can just stay in your seats and someone will find you and pray with you. Um, And if not, uh, there is lunch in the APR. Have a great week.